get started. My name is Taylor, uh, and I'm really, really thrilled that you're here. If I've never met you, uh, hi, my name's Taylor, uh, and now we are <laughs> the best of friends. And uh, I know that you guys could be a lot of different places on a Wednesday night, but thank you for choosing to be here. I think you um, are going to be encouraged, and I think um, you are going to leave this place, hopefully, a different person. And uh, before we get started into the sermon tonight, I want to ask you to do something. If you have um, a paper Bible, um, I want you to get out your paper Bible. Or if you have your phone um, and you have the YouVersion Bible app downloaded, um, if, if you do have that, I want you to go there. The reason that I ask, I, I tell you every single week to go to the YouVersion Bible app is... Um, is it, there's all of the notes right there. And the cool thing is, is if you save the event, you can actually add notes to it and reference those notes past today. And I know sometimes it can, it, it can be really helpful to reference something that you heard or something that sparked your interest or a question that you had. And maybe you weren't able to ask that question tonight. Maybe you um, needed to ask that question later and at a different time. Or maybe you just had a question and that question was maybe answered in your small group. Um, feel free to download that, save the event. Um, uh, we will post this to our Instagram as well because I know it's kind of hard to read. And um, we got downgraded on our projector, so um, now it's all pixelated and dark, but not for long. We're going to get a new projector in a little bit because the auditorium's getting new projectors, aka we get the old ones. And I'm okay with that because the old ones are better than this one. Um, no, but you can have the instructions of how to follow along with the message, how to find um, the audio podcast from these sermons. And so uh, the question, actually, before we jump into that, um, as we begin the sermon, I want to take a moment uh, and I want to, us to um, just as a youth group, remember and pray for uh, the Douglas family from WF West who lost Drew this past week. And um, I know that there's probably a few students in here who either were friends with him closely or from afar or just knew um, knew him, and I know that no matter what, it can be, um, it can affect you a lot. And so, um, I just wanted to say on on behalf of our youth leaders that we love you guys so so much, and um, we're here for you if you want to to talk about it. If you need someone, um, just to kind of share what's on your mind and what's on your heart regarding that, um, we would love to do that. We would also love to pray with you as well if if you want that. And so, I just want us to take a moment though. And I want us to personally pray for um, his family and uh, just pray for peace in the midst of uncertainty. And so um, if you feel comfortable, you don't have to pray out loud. Maybe you just pray um, in your mind. But I would encourage you just to lift up a, a prayer to Jesus for the Douglas family. So let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we lift up this family to you. Lord, I can't even um, begin to um, imagine the devastation that this family is experiencing and the deep just sense of loss and, and maybe questioning. Lord, we pray peace in the midst of uncertainty. Jesus, we know that you are our hope in the midst of hopelessness. Lord, I pray for um, every person in his family, extended family, friends, and everyone who, who knew him or has been affected by his passing. Jesus, would you bring comfort to them as well? Would you help everyone to grieve in the way that they need to grieve? 
Pray that they would not feel like they need to get over this as quickly as possible, but that there would be um, healing in people's hearts, healing in people's spirits, and in their minds. Jesus, once again, we thank you so much that you are in our midst. And I pray that as these different memorial gatherings that are happening tomorrow and later in October, I pray that um, people would, would experience your peace, that they would feel um, your presence, and that they would be changed by that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you guys so much. And I know that their family probably really appreciates that, even if they never know that that took place. Um, so the question that we're going to be answering, this is probably one of the last questions that we're going to answer for a few weeks. Um, I don't know who submitted this question. It was written on a piece of paper. But the, the question was, are men superior to women? So that's the question that we're going to um, <clears throat> answer. You chuckle, but it's a lot deeper than that. Um, so we're going to break this down. I don't know if the question asker meant, meant it in this way, but we are going to separate this question into two different categories. Tonight, what we are going to reference is, are men superior to women in the church? Um, there are a few texts um, in the Bible that seem very um, anti-women and are uncomfortable to read if we're being honest, um, there have been extreme abuses of these texts for personal gain and the power of individuals for centuries and centuries. But an, an important question for us to ask is, was that God's intention? Was it God's intention for, to, for us to suppress and silence a certain group of people that were also made in his image? So that's what we're going to be exploring tonight in the book of First uh, Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. So I'm going to ask my wife, Megan, she is going to come up and she's going to read our text. So would you stand with us, whether you are reading from the paper Bible or the YouVersion Bible app, let's stand as we read God's word. Yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 14 is the first one. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. All right, and then first oh. 14. Okay. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Oof. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oof. Oof is right. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? I mean, I'm honest with you all the time anyways, but... Um, if I'm being honest, this is really hard to read. Anyone else agree with me? You don't have, yeah, you don't have to raise your, you, sure. Um, because, because of what it seems to communicate, it seems like what it's saying are women are incompetent, they lack knowledge, and they are deceived by sin easier than men. If you spent any time um, here at youth or um, just maybe as a Christian or maybe you've spent time in church, you might have heard that Christians say all the time that all people are valued and they're loved by God simply because they are human beings. And as a Christian, we believe that every single human being was created in the image of God as reflected in Genesis 1. But when you hear texts like what we just read, 
it seems like it negates everything that I just said. It doesn't sound like all people are valued. It doesn't sound like all people are loved. And if we just read these texts, we might come to the conclusion that men are superior to women in the gathered church. Dan Kimball, he's a pastor and an author, and in his book, um, How Not to Read the Bible, he said this. He says, never read a Bible verse. So what he means is never read a single Bible verse, because when you do, you often lose the original context and make it mean what it was never meant to mean. Another key point that he says in that same book is the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Meaning the Bible was not or was written to the people of Israel. It recounts the history of that nation, but it also highlights the, the faithfulness of God towards an unfaithful people. It was also written to individuals and church communities throughout the first century in the Roman Empire. It speaks of God's love for humanity and his plan to redeem sinful people back to himself. It was written to people with different cultures. It was written to people with different rituals. And it was not written to you and I in a Western 21st century context. There are things that culturally won't make sense. And we have to do our best to try and mine it out, dig it out, and unearth what was being said so that we can understand what was being said to them in that cultural moment. And friends, this is what we call context. Can we say context, everybody? Context. And context is key. So let's start unpacking 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. Let's read verses 11 and 12 again. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. So what was happening in Within this church that the Apostle Paul would feel the need to, to communicate this detail to Timothy, who was pastoring and who was leading this church in the city of Ephesus. So Paul, um, this apostle, he helped plant this church in Ephesus as recorded in uh, Acts chapter 18. Timothy was a co-worker with Paul and, would ev and um, eventually Paul would put Timothy in charge of leading this church in Ephesus. And so a few years after the church had been planted, Paul wrote a letter to address some issues and some false doctrines that had made their way into this church community in Ephesus. This church was also really crazy diverse. It was consisted of Jews and Gentiles who were non-Jews. It consisted of magicians and sorcerers and idol worshipers and masters and slaves and rulers of the city. And the craziest thing was is they were united in the Lord. But like any diverse group of people, there was tension. But that tension was not just from within. It was also coming from outside of the, the, the church community. The culture around them was deeply entrenched in the worship of gods like Artemis and Zeus. And with all of these different backgrounds and them being saved from the worship of those idols and, and to serving Jesus, they, they came into this church community with this baggage and with this background this way of looking at the world, and you can imagine that this tension would lead to conflict. So Paul writes what we know as the book of Ephesians, addressing these false doctrines and how to combat those things. And about 10 years later, he would write a letter to Timothy, the leader of that church. So 
The letter of Timothy is to bring correction and direction in a few different areas. So Paul David Tripp, he has an amazing mustache. He said this about 1 Timothy. He said, you could give 1 Timothy, if you really want to know, you could Google him. It'll change your life, I promise you. He's like probably 70, and he wears like a, like a, uh, uh, like a collared shirt and a sweater over it, and he wears like cool glasses, and he has a huge mustache. It's awesome. Um, he said this about 1 Timothy. He said, you could give 1 Timothy the title of order in the church. He went on to say that there are seven topics that Paul addresses that are happening within the church in Ephesus. So how does a church deal with false, well, with false teachers? How do you conduct worship? What are the qualifications for elders and deacons? How do you train to be godly in doctrine and in life? How do you care for, care for and honor widows? How do you deal with conflict and quarrels and controversy? What does it look like to pursue the riches of Christ and not the riches of this world? So, so in chapter 2, what we're looking at, Paul is addressing some men and some women who are being influenced by false teachers Women were treating the Sunday gathering like a fashion show, fashion show. And some of these same women were taking leadership positions and teaching this bad theology to the church. It was not just the women. It was also the men who were teaching bad theology. So this is within the context that we read verse 12 where it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project lays out three widely known and accepted interpretations of what Paul might mean in this text. The first one, women should never lead or teach men in any church. So there are groups of people that believe that this is the, the interpretation of this text. Um, and then the second one is women shouldn't lead, but with education they can lead and teach. And then the third one is these Ephesian women shouldn't lead because they've been deceived, hence the reference to Genesis 3 about the serpent and Adam and Eve. So which one is right? It's the question. Which one is right? How do we know what Paul meant? You're not alone in wondering what Paul meant. The apostle Peter actually penned this in 2 Peter 3. He said his, referencing Paul, letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Shout out to you, Peter. Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter is using this word ignorant to describe people who are dis distorting the scriptures. So other translations like the Christian Standard Bible or the ESV, they translate the Greek word into untaught. So it's not like, oh, these stupid people that are twisting the word of the Lord. No, what, what Peter is meaning are untaught people. And Peter says that they are untaught and unstable. They have a tendency of twisting scripture to say what they want it to say. It gives me peace knowing that there are apostles and there are teachers of the way of Jesus that recognized Paul's writings at times were hard to understand. So you and I, were in really good company. Um, but at the same time, we can't just leave it there. We can't just say, man, I don't get it, so I'm just going to like say whatever and just sweep it under the rug. So people were teaching a gospel that, they were, that was contrary to the one of Jesus, and it was false. It was not the gospel that Jesus taught. They were getting lost in myths and genealogies in the book of Genesis, and they were using the Hebrew scriptures as a weapon, and it was dividing their church community. 
And the true gospel should bring unity and love for one another. So learning and studying the scriptures is enormously valuable for the person to not misapply what they're being read. So wherever you land on these three different ways of interpreting what Paul said to Timothy, we can agree that there are women in this community of believers who had been deceived and needed to step away from their teaching and submit themselves to Timothy's leadership. Myself personally and our church and the denomination that our church is a part of, they affirm women as having the ability to teach and to lead within the church. And we also believe that the, the way that our church um, interprets this scripture is, um, as we believe that Paul is speaking directly to these Ephesian women, he, he was speaking directly to their lack of knowledge and understanding of sound doctrine. So in turn, these specific women needed to submit themselves to sound doctrine and learn the way of Jesus before they taught in the church community. And in this church culture, women were not given opportunities to study and to become educated because this might neglect their primary duties as, as wives and mothers. Because patriarchy played a large role in the opportunities that were awarded to women. Generally, their, their view, especially in the Jewish culture, was that women were first wives and mothers before they could be anything other than that. Women were dependent on their husbands or sons to provide and to take care of them. And we're going to talk more about topic, the topic of men and women and their roles in the home and in the family next week. So how does this play out, though? How does this play out in the church? And sometimes we can, we can walk away from this text after studying it and say, yeah, women need to submit. They need to learn. They need to understand. But we need to like hold up and we need to realize that it is both men and women that are teaching false doctrines in this letter. And what Paul is essentially saying is y'all need to stop. You need to understand what is the true gospel and preach the true gospel. The next passage we'll be unpacking in 1 Corinthians 14 speaks of men, specifically, needing to submit to authority and structure. And in the book of James, uh, James chapter 3, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So James plainly says that there is a standard that is placed on people who teach people about the gospel. Paul said in Romans 14, each of us will give an account for himself to God. There is a huge importance, young person, on what you communicate as a Christian and as a teacher. So now that we've unpacked 1 Timothy 2, let's look at the other passage that we read in 1 Corinthians 14 that is under this same topic. We're going to read verses 33 through 35 again. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all congregations of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Verse 35, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So, just like 1 Timothy 2, when you read this at face value, it seems to be a statement that all women in any gathering of Christians, need to be silent. 
So if this is the case, if we would just look just a couple pages earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, we will see in chapter 11 that women are praying and prophesying in the gathering. So if Paul was making a blanket statement, why in chapter 11 would he say that there are women that are praying and prophesying? And prophesying in in this culture would be very similar to what we might call preaching or sharing a word about who God is. And another important note would be that there are many women who are listed in the New Testament that played large roles in the growth and the maturity of the early church. And some of those women uh, included Phoebe, Priscilla, Lydia, and a few others. So with that information, it's hard for us to assume that Paul is commanding all women to be silent at all times in the church. So what does this text mean? And this chunk, is, this chunk of um, text is very closely related to what Paul wrote to Timothy. And there seems to be in this text, there's a disunity in the gathering of believers. And Paul is bringing instruction and order to their meetings. Because it says that God is a God of order and not disorder. And this... Um, An important note about churches in this uh, time frame is churches were generally about 20 to 30 people and they met in a person's house. So sometimes we can um, have this picture, we can read about these churches like, oh, it's a letter to the church in Philippi or the church in Colossae or the church in Rome. And sometimes we can think of these like really massive buildings and obviously not like sound systems, but sometimes we just think of it that way. And they, you know, it's just this really big, thriving, like hundreds and thousands of people, which there could have been um, churches with thousands of people, but that mostly what churches looked like in the first century were about 20 to 30 people, uh, a little bit smaller than this group, actually, um, and they would meet in a house. And these gatherings consisted of praying together, singing together, eating the Lord's Supper, or eating pizza, just kidding, (laughs) And teaching about the gospel of Jesus. And so um, these were small groups and these meetings and there was chaos that was ensuing and Paul needed to address it. So in order to gather context, because context is key, we have to read before verses 34 and 35 to see what's going on. So if you just, if you're on your phone, scroll a little bit down. We're going to start at verse 26. So what does verse 26 say? It says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together... Each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So we see here that Paul says when the church was gathering, there were a bunch of different people who had a song that they wanted to share with the group. They had this word that they wanted to share with the group. They had this revelation. They had this tongue that was from God, and there was this interpretation. And all of these people would come into this gathering, and they would start talking over each other. They would say, no, what I'm saying is more important than what you're saying. And it was chaos. Remember, Paul said in verse 33, God is is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And we can see that these people were not sharing things in an orderly way, and it was becoming an issue. So let's read on, and we'll see what else was taking place. Verse 27 and 28. If anyone speaks in a tongue, 
Two or three, or two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So the original word translated where we get the phrase keep quiet is sagao. And it literally means, as the text says, to keep quiet, to be silent. So what we see in 1 Corinthians 14 is there's another group of people that Paul is telling to be silent and to be quiet in the church. Saying if there's a tongue that's shared, there needs to be an interpretation to bring it into normal language, normal language so it can be edifying to the church. He says if that doesn't happen, you need to be quiet. And there should only be two or at the most three of those different things throughout the gathering. So we have the first group of people that Paul instructed to keep silent. Okay, you guys remember that. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Basically, what verse 32 means is um, if you're being guided and directed by the Holy Spirit to speak these different things, you should be able to control that and not talk over another person. It's essentially what Paul is saying. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So here we have another situation where people are talking over one another to give a teaching and to give an encouragement to the community of believers. So if someone is sharing a teaching, you need to wait your turn and to not speak over one another. While doing so, you should be evaluating and contemplating what is being taught, making sure that what is being taught is true. So as you are taking notes, hopefully, on on the sermons that are preached on Wednesdays, you are evaluating what is being taught to make sure that that scripture actually says what the person communicating is saying and and it is true. So verse 30 says that when someone is giving a prophecy, um, that the first person should stop. And so here the the NIV uses the word stop, but this Greek word is the same as before, segao, to keep quiet, to be silent. So why is this important? Paul says this is important, back to verse 33, because God is a God of order and peace. And so we find that this is the second group of people that are instructed to be silent. Let's keep reading. Do you guys, are you guys gathering the context of what's happening? Verse 34, women should remain, you see it? Silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So you've probably caught on by now. The Greek word translated silent is segao. So we must have a situation because we see that they're talking specifically about um, wives. They're not talking about women in general. They're talking specifically about wives to their husbands. And so what we can maybe assume what was taking place is their wives were speaking over their husbands or asking questions within the gathering, and it's causing disorder and chaos. And so Paul says to take those conversations home so that it does not disrupt the gathering. 
So when you're evaluating the, teacher, the, the teachings, you don't just blurt out your questions, but talk about those things at home. Maybe talk about those things within a small group. So after looking into and understanding the bigger context, that we, that we can see that all women are not to be silent. But in these contexts, Paul was addressing, addressing issues within the church communities of Ephesus and Corinth. And some people and some women were being disruptive and causing disunity. So Paul ends this chunk in 1 Corinthians 14 with an encouragement to the community of believers, 39 and 40. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So the big idea and the last thought that I want to give you is this. God has structured the church to be a place where men and women are of equal value and importance. And I hope through this, what you gathered is the importance of context. Because what Dan Kimball said, when you read a verse, it's hard. you don't know what's going on. You can just read that and be like, mm-mm, I ain't about that. But then when you do a little bit of studying, you read around it, you can start to uncover that Paul's not a jerk. He's helping bring order and structure to the gathering. So we're going to jump into our small groups. We're going to talk, and we're going to talk through a couple questions. The first question is, what are your thoughts on these passages and this topic? We want you, this is kind of just to be an open door. What are the things that come to your mind? What are the things that maybe rub you the wrong way? What are some maybe some other questions that pop up in your head? So we're going to take the next, uh, I don't know, 15 or so minutes. Um, we're going to jump into our small groups. Uh, the, the guys are on the back of the wall. Girls are in the front. High school is on this side. Middle school is on this side and your small group leader will dismiss you when you are done. So let's go to our small groups.